This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> it's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined as always by Sirit Zoe. What's up, Sirit? Chris, how's it going? We've finished the first act of the conference semifinals or the second round. Do you prefer second round or conference semifinals? I feel like some of these playoff series deserve to be called conference semifinals. Well, Heat Sixers the second round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maverick Suns is the second round. Do you think if they called it the conference semifinals, Miami fans would show up before halftime? Or I think maybe they'd show up for a series that had a little bit more you know, competitive. Yes, I yeah. set you up for that one. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to talk today a little bit about what is making two of these series definitively more electric than the other two, because I think Memphis Golden State has the trappings. I mean, it already is, I think, in the incredibly online NBA Twitter brain, a classic. Which was also, by the way, a two-game thing, because they played tw- kind of like at the end of, end of the season as well. Yes. So they've, they've had a miniseries before. First of all, it's got bad feelings. It's got like this Dylan Brooks suspension over the Gary Payton foul. It's got Draymond narrating the, the entire series. It's got like the like, when is Clay going to be Clay? It's when is Steph going to find his shot again? Should they just build the entire universe around Jordan Poole? And then on the flip side, it's like, how far can Ja go? And that I think also like crowds play a part in that. You know, I was making a joke about the Miami fans, but like the Memphis crowd is like, they're six men. It's like the Cameron crazies with more of a drinking problem. It's like a college basketball crowd that actually is like, no, we have cars and we have like a little bit of money to spend. So we're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and then you know obviously i think boston milwaukee so far has been like huge heavyweight punches within the series itself even though the games each one was like a little lopsided but neither team was like fully bent the knee in those games like they were still competitive like even when milwaukee was getting trucked in game two like they still were like well we're not taking Giannis out like we're not we're not gonna pretend like this this is over and then those other two series i mean it's like phoenix just might be better than dallas and sometimes you get those right and then we can talk about miami and philly but i kind of wanted to see what you thought like why do you think there are some series that just seem touched and others that seem forgotten i think it's just a competitive difference like that that heat sixer series actually like i, th- I think that would have been a classic if mb had played um but without him you know the sixers just look a little bit overmatched and they seem to just not really believe that they should be winning these games, honestly. <laughs> like, they they don't have enough without Embiid. And I think, like, with the Mavericks, it's the exact same thing. Like, we can kind of go down the line and talk about all the things that they could do differently, which, you know, they could. But at the, at the same time, like, they've run into an absolute juggernaut. Like, the Suns won 64 games. They're the number one seed. And the Mavericks, you know, they're improving. And I think we probably... The right yeah. They, yeah, I think we probably overrated them in the regular season because of how successful they were post-trade but going back and looking at that trade their defense actually dropped quite a bit after they traded Przingis and like I think that's probably a major factor in what is ailing them at this particular moment and it's also man like just on a purely aesthetic level it's a boring series I think I would be a little bit like more pissed off if it was more competitive because then I'd actually have to like really dig into it and pay attention to every single like 24 second long possession that both these teams play. Luckily, the Suns are good enough that that at least isn't what's happening. That's like my main complaint. I think it has nothing to do with like old school basketball versus like Moneyball nerds. It's really just like if the entire offense is driving kick and sometimes this happens with Boston and sometimes this happens with teams that are like obviously playing really well. But if the entire offense is just driving kick and like passing up like barely contested like cool layups for a corner three with a guy who shoots 32% because maybe if he hits it, it's got more value. Like that just starts to become like almost watching people play pop a shot. I think that, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about whether teams are like learning the wrong lessons, you know, going into these playoffs or coming out of these playoffs and whether like we're starting to see some bad habits develop in some, some teams. And I think Dallas might have a little bit of that, even though they're like a great success story and Luca is Luca and like they really like figured their season out and like it seems like kid has like a really good direction like really good momentum with this team like I, I do wonder a little bit whether that's happening with Dallas I'm personally just very pissed off about the like the, the turn that Luca has made from Luca magic to Luca math I don't like it at all it's become impossible to deny like everyone has been making like hard in comparison pretty much since he got into the league but I've always been kind of against it because he has this like flourish and imaginativeness to his game just so everybody the title of this podcast is is Luca being hardened pilled <laughs> Yeah. He's absolutely being hardened build. I think that's a perfect way to put it. It's kind of like been creeping up on us pretty much since his rookie year. In his second year, he obviously went and like, you know, his his usage numbers went sky high because it was like, oh yeah, we know now that like he's automatically already a star. But if I went back and dug into Dallas's offense and the best offense they ever had was in his second year. And it was also when his usage rate was still quite high, but it was its lowest and all of those usage numbers have been creeping up pretty much like since then and then now if you look at this year's playoffs like out of everybody that's in the top five in field goal attempts he's the only one left in the playoffs 
He's averaging 4.8 turnovers. And we talked about this a little while ago about heliocentric offenses, right? Like about people who are basically the weather system of their offense and everything is revolving around them and everything has to come from them and could continue. But like, this is interesting because like when we talked about it before, I feel like it was like, isn't this cool? And now it's like, are we sure this is good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is the context we put it in. And I, I think one thing that, I've been saying like pretty much like throughout the entire MVP debate is that you don't really want to be the MVP. Right. Like that's not good for your playoff chances. Um, and yeah, like this is like, he, he leads the, the playoffs in usage percentage. He accounts for 37% of their field goals and 44% of their assists and 50% of their turnovers when they're on the floor. Like it's just, it's way too much to put on one player. And the thing that is like kind of strange about it to me is that I think this, this is probably what they were trying trying to get away from with the trade with uh, with Spencer Dinwiddie but in the playoffs they've just kind of gotten back to it whenever he's on the floor like there's like this two versions of, of Dallas where he plays and then when he doesn't play and they kind of it's it's not like the Luca list Dallas team is like you know whipping the ball all over the floor uh you know Spencer and and Jalen Brunson are kind of like they're two like pick and roll ISO players. Like they like having the ball in their hands. And there's definitely something to building a team that way. Like we've talked about it with the Suns. We've talked about it with the Warriors. Like the guys that aren't your star should probably still have some stylistic similarities to your star so that they can fit in the system that you built around him. Right. But I also think that we're kind of starting to see the negative of that with Dallas because like comparing the Suns and the Mavericks, what the Mavericks lack is versatility in what they can do once that stops working. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting come like, you know, offseason time when it when you figure out how much money you want to pay Jalen Brunson because like to me the biggest difference between those two teams is just the fact that like Luca doesn't have an actual genuine second star to play with because the Suns play in a very similar way so this is really fascinating I don't want to get super sidetracked by this because I do want to move through these other series but I was thinking about this Jalen Brunson thing too because I saw on my bible hoopshype.com slash rumors it's actually, one of the better bibles it's really up there with the uh with some of the testaments but there was a rumor about like Jalen loves the vibes in Dallas and that now the needle is sort of more pointing towards him staying in Dallas rather than going to like the Knicks or the Pacers or something like that. And I agree with you. Like on one hand, Dallas has had historically one of the funniest, like slipping on a banana peel kind of free agency plans where they're like, we've cleared out all these cap space. And then like, DeAndre Jordan hostage situation and like going for Dwight and like never getting the the marquee free agent that they want. But your point is really well taken. Do they need somebody who is essentially like an alpha B next to Doncic? Because right now Brunson and Dinwiddie are like very very capable. They were capable of winning uh, you know winning some games in the first round without Luca. But when Luca's not in the game, are those two guys enough to keep it going? The flip side of what you're saying though is this: there are lots of teams. I think we saw this to some extent with the end of Durant and uh, Westbrook in Oklahoma. And I certainly saw it a lot with Philly with Embiid and Simmons, where it's like you can't actually build two full teams. <laughs> so unless those stars are kind of facsimiles for one another, like this is what you're saying. It's like you can't have like Ben Simmons and four shooters and Joel Embiid and four shooters, but then sometimes play them all together. You know, like like you, you and and so this is really like it's been wild watching Dallas where you're like, God, this is so intoxicating in the regular season. And they had some really amazing clutch wins coming down the stretch too. But there's something about like, Phoenix is just kind of like, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> They've run into this systemic team. And it's like, Aiden's in foul trouble. Here comes JaVale. 
JaVale gets in foul trouble. Here comes Biombo. Like, they just seem to have Mikhail Bridges out, Cam Johnson in. Like, there's these body types. There's these play style types. It's just, it's been a really interesting contrast in team building. Yeah, there's like, with the Suns, Booker and Paul are different enough that if what Paul is trying to do isn't working, like you take away or he's just not hitting that short mid-range jumper in pick and roll in, in the fourth quarter, you can go to other things. Like the way that Booker gets his points, like he can get his points that way. Like everybody on that team has pretty much just been like, oh, so that's how you stake a pick and roll. Cool. Like we'll, we'll, we'll start doing that too. But at the same time, like you can get him moving off the screen and the types of defenders that he thrives against like we're going to talk about Gary Payton later but this is a perfect example um Gary Payton's a great Devin Booker defender not a great Chris Paul defender mm-hmm. like that's Chris Paul is probably the one guy in the NBA that you know like just like will pull one over on, on a guy like Gary Payton right just because that's what Chris Paul does against aggressive defenders but being able to have that and have that work within the same system Uh, but have like some subtle differences so that you can adjust. And it's so like, it's, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not even trying to blame Dallas for like, cause this is hard. Yeah. Like the sun's keyed into something laid the groundwork for this, like with that Mikhail Bridges eight and draft. And then they got Chris Paul and Devin Booker ended up being like a, it's going to end up being like a hall of famer. You know, that's hard. (laughs) That's very hard. But I, I also think that the Mavericks aren't actually ridiculously far away from that either. If you look at this upcoming offseason, we don't have to get into this part too much. Like, I'm down to do, like, an offseason exploration on them, like, when that time comes. But we used to compare Devin Booker and Zach Levine before Devin Booker got into a winning situation. And Brad Beal are two of, like, probably going to be, like, the major guys that are potentially available, right? Right. And they would fit perfectly, I think, into a system that that the Mavericks have that could, you know, potentially you probably have to lose one of Spencer or Jalen in those situations. Uh, But they have a lot of sign and trade possibilities. That's like kind of the beauty of the KP trade is it gave them guys that are actually movable. Um, But one of those guys, whether it's Spencer or Brunson, like can then fit into a more natural tertiary role that would allow them to thrive in the way that like a guy like Mikhail Bridges is pretty much just hitting like every like semi-contested or open shot that he gets because he's attacking on all this, you know, on these closeouts, essentially, like he's not doing too much of his own work. Yeah. You know, so they're close and they're very similar teams. It makes for a kind of a boring series because like, you know, they're both very methodical, but at the end of the end of the game, it's like Lucas gassed and the, the Suns can just target him over and over again. But for the Suns, it's like Paul and Booker are fresh legs. And they can stagger. And I mean, Luca missed time during the regular season for sure. And he's coming off that calf injury. But Dallas is not doing as good of a job wearing out anybody on Phoenix because it's like, who do you try to wear out? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're so deep as well. Yeah. And like, you know, you brought up the Aiton point before, like, the guys that they bring in also just fit exactly into the role that the other guy was playing. It's like you take Mikhail Bridges out and you put Cam Johnson in. Right. You're not changing a lot when you do that. The playoffs are heating up and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Throughout the playoffs, all customers can place a no-sweat same-game parlay each week. You'll get up to $20 in free bets if you don't win. FanDuel has so many ways to play, and best of all, when you do win, you'll get paid faster than a fast break. So my same-game parlay for Saturday. Let's do Saturday. Uh, Obviously, Golden State versus Memphis is going to be the eyes of the nation upon that one. And... I think it's probably just because I want this to happen for him. I'm going to take a same game parlay that takes the Warriors with the spread. So that's minus seven 
Clay Thompson over 21 and a half points and Clay Thompson four plus made threes. I just feel like home cooking is really going to come in handy for Clay uh, back in the Bay. And I see a bounce back game for him and I see a victory for the Warriors. That was a very emotionally draining victory for Memphis. And I feel like they're going to probably want to make sure they get out of Golden State with a win, but maybe not game three. If you're new to FanDuel, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code RINGERNBA. Once again, that's promo code RINGERNBA. And if you already have an account, you're all set to bet. No sweat. Either way, you'll get up to $20 in free bets if your same game parlay during the playoffs doesn't win. FanDuel Sportsbook is an official partner of the NBA. 21 and older in select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 at visit chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope and why to 467-369 in New York. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Well, let's talk a little bit about Memphis, because I think that it's fair to say that Game 3 of Memphis Golden State is one of the great all-time like I'm not I don't have Saturday plans mm-hmm. like it is like across America people being like eh, you know what can we actually move this there's no Saturday plans around this this thing has become like instant must-see TV what happens sometimes with with playoff series is like the game happens and then you can feel it deflate over the course of like the days off and with the Golden State Memphis series because of the Brooks suspension and the Peyton injury and everything else it just gets like more and more tense and so now it's like Kerr has already said he expects like the most intense Golden State crowd he's ever heard. And there was something about like, oh, like I can't remember which Giants player, but I think Buster Posey is having like his number retired or something down like at the Giants stadium that day. So it's kind of like this day long San Francisco sports day to say that he expects the most intense Warriors crowd ever is saying quite a bit. Warriors crowds can get into it. So like you got you have this like welcome to hell atmosphere coming in. You know, Brooks won't be there, but like Memphis will hear it from the Warriors mm-hmm. fans and it's going to be I don't know, I want to say bloodbath, but I think metaphorically a, bu- a bloodbath. <laughs> you know, figuratively it'll be a bloodbath even mm-hmm. if it's not. What's making this series so great? I think it's the stylistic differences and the fact that both teams are really physical and really talented and both know what they're doing too. They're both really smart. Um, And I think there's just like this, it's, this has been, we have been leading up to this moment for a while. We've basically been leading up to it since Dylan Brooks got really mad that Andre Iguodala didn't want to report to camp for the Grizzlies after being traded to them, which is a completely justifiable move on the part of Andre Iguodala. But there's also this weird element happening, I think, where the Grizzlies don't stylistically resemble the Warriors of 2015, but I think on a spiritual level, there's a similarity there where they are this young team that just kind of came out of nowhere. They play differently than most of the NBA. They actually play against a lot of the tenets that we now consider to be like self-evident, right? They 
started Steven Adams for most of the season. That's that's pretty much probably going to be done for the rest of the playoffs. I'm I'm curious to see if we see him in the Warriors series. I think we could. They were the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA or like or top top 2 or 3 at least. I can't remember now. Um and they just assaulted the paint whether it was, you know, Jaron and Adams and Clark and Tiltman and or, or just obviously Jaw just leading the, the, the NBA in, in, in points in the paint while being like a, a skinny 6'1 guy. They have the Warriors' arrogance. They do. They have that thing, and they piss other teams off. They've been acting in ways that I think just piss veterans off, and they've been getting away with it, too. We've talked about this before with, like, Desmond Bain and LeBron and, you know, like, Brooks getting it into it with, with, uh, with Booker, and now you've got them getting it into into it with the Warriors, who they had those two play-in games against. And I think the Warriors, like, they obviously really want to win any series, but I think they really want to beat the Grizzlies, and I think they have really wanted to beat the Grizzlies, but they haven't really been able to, like, they haven't been able to punk them, essentially. They're certainly And not. usually when you piss the Warriors off like that, you get punked. And we might see that in Game 3. Like, we don't really know what's going to happen, and that's that's what makes it so exciting, because on the other end of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, we could see that. We could see the Warriors go, like, We'll get like let's get into the starting lineups a little bit because they're going to have to change them up. We could see them go like starting up the pool party lineup, right? Um, and just trying to outshoot the Grizzlies and like getting off to like a like a thirty to ten start, and then that's the game. Right. We could also see like Otto Porter in the starting lineup. He's been awesome for their rebounding. Um, and then the series, all the things that I mentioned have all flipped. Like, the Warriors are the team that's offensive rebounding, the Warriors are the team that's dominating the paint, and the Grizzlies are the team that's shooting well from three, which is just strange, and I think part of that is just the, the short break. I'm really curious to see how different everything looks now that both teams have had these three days off to be able to actually scout each other. Uh, the Warriors probably had a little bit more time, but they are probably waiting to see if it was like the Wolves or the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies just had no time at all. So I'm very curious to see how different things look, and if like these teams can kind of get back to like, what they are actually good at but it also speaks to the fact that like they know each other and they know how to take away the things that the other side is good at right um which is really like the makings of a good series to me so i'm i'm really curious about what's going to happen there's still so many unknowns and there's just like there's big game players like like for every steph curry three that feels like a haymaker that feels inevitable like, you know, it gets the crowd going because you know you have that guy on your side. Like, John Morant just comes back with another layup or just, like, like spinning in the lane and just embarrassing Andrew Wiggins. Um, and then being able to do it again. Like, it is about as reliable a thing as, like, the Curry 3. And, like, at least, at least I think that's what Grizzlies fans believe, right? I was thinking about the namesake of our podcast, <laughs> Allen Iverson. Like, that is that was the AI problem, right? Like, you can't keep doing that over and over again, usually, especially if you're Jaws size. Like, historically, that hasn't really worked. So that's, like, the thing I would look at and say, like... But might as well take advantage of it while you can, <laughs> you know? Yeah, while he's got his legs. Like, it's it's pretty fun. <laughs> the, the sort of overall vibe of what you just said is certainly a little like memphis is cosmically blessed this team knows no fear etc etc like board crashing glass eating this is this is all happening and they they specifically like seem to irritate golden state i agree with all of that if you take like the emotion out of it is there a little bit like it's not really possible for the warriors to shoot that badly from three again and if clay thompson makes two more and steph makes two more this is not actually this is actually 2-0 Warriors going into Golden State. You can say that on both sides, though, right? Yeah, I mean, hell, you can say that for the Sixers series. I mean, <laughs> you know, like... Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. 
That's right. Uh, <laughs> well, you've been saying that for six years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually like, it's kind of perfectly put at 1-1 one, one, one because when both teams say they, they could be 2-0, and oh, that means sure. it's probably accurate that they're 1-1, one and one, right? Uh, but it's, yeah, to your point, it's a very close series and the Grizzlies have been making some mistakes and like there's kind of two ways to look at it. Some of those mistakes are mistakes of inexperience which we saw a lot in the Timberwolves series. Some of it, I think, is going to be cleaned up by the fact that they've now had a bunch of days to just watch and hone in on how Golden State plays. But there's been definitely miscommunication. I think we were talking about this series, kind of like looking at the Wolves series and saying, wow, the Grizzlies can't make these types of mistakes against an actual championship contender because they're not... Like the other, the contender is not going to make the appropriate mistakes to then, you know, balance those out. I think what we forgot is that the Warriors love making mistakes. Like they <laughs> love it. They love it. They just, they love unnecessary turnovers. Yeah. Like they love, like Clay Thompson loves quick shots. Like some of those Clay shots, like I look at and I'm like, okay, like they got lucky with how much of them aren't going in for sure. It's bad shot selection, but it's also Clay Thompson. So it's like, uh, I don't but know. across the board, we have not seen the barrage, like yeah. like the splat, the classic mm-hmm. Splash Brothers backbreaking barrage of threes, where even no matter whether you guard them thirty five feet out, mm-hmm. whether you think you've got it, like whether like you can, they can't possibly make that one again, and it's like it just keeps going down, and that's what yeah. has cracked people before. It's like one like because th- th- like, if you look at Steph's numbers, you're like, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good game. But they're never like the four in a row. Oh, yeah. my God. Like he sucked the life out of the arena. Bat, mm-hmm. Like knife to the heart threes. He missed a couple that would have made like maybe like three consecutive threes that could have done that. You can even see you can see when you watch him, you're like, he knows that's not happening. Like he had that bank in from the yeah. top of the key and he was just like fuck yeah like it wasn't really yeah it's strange i think it's it reminds me a lot of that thunder series that they played in 2016 where he just you know he just wasn't able to get to that place and i think the thunder defense really bothered him i think it might be a similar scenario where the grizzlies just they switch everything and they're really physical yeah or they have somebody like bane coming off the screen who is just like you can't really screen him um he's just that good coming off of them other than that they're mostly switching and they're really physical and you know, for the most part, I think like Clark has done a really great job on those switches. And I think Jaron Jackson, when he's not fouling, has always done a pretty good job on Curry. I think it might take the pool party lineup to have that level of explosion against his defense. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, do you, who do you think starts? Do you think they just go with the pool lineup in instead of Peyton for game three? I don't know. It's that's the other thing that's so enticing about this, right? Like they have a st- stylistic decision to make. Yeah. Because that that lineup will give up offensive rebounds. It will give up paint points. It will be, you know, Jaw going in and basically just doing getting whatever he wants, I think, against, you know, J- Jordan Poole. Um, a lot more guys to target. Puts a lot more on Andrew Wiggins. It's really strange to watch a Warriors team, like the version of the Warriors team that sometimes they throw out there when Poole's not on the floor. It's strange to feel like this is a team that teams can sag off of. You know, like, because, like, yeah. w- they, they were basically mm-hmm. daring Wiggins to beat them. And he didn't. Yeah. And I think th- those those shots also they got a little bit lucky on too. Mm-hmm. The reason I, like now that I think about it, that I don't like it, at least as a starting lineup, is that I think the Warriors win this series if they keep this like configuration of Desmond Baines not getting into this game. And Dylan Brooks is suspended. And 
you can't really do much about Jaron Jackson if he doesn't have foul trouble. Like, I can't really rely on him to do that consistently for a series, but one or two of these games, for sure. I like the idea of we're going to make Ja beat us because it might not really work in their favor early in this series, but by the time game six or seven rolls around, I think Ja's going to have some tired legs. And I think the worst thing in the world for the Warriors right now would be if they went with an offense first starting lineup and all of a sudden everybody else starts going off. And Jaw like they get away with winning a game where like Jaw doesn't have to shoot twenty five times. That version of the of Memphis I mean, going back to what we were saying about Dallas and like the regular season versus the playoffs and like we haven't really had to see the version of Memphis that they managed to like stay afloat, not even stay afloat, but like speedboat while Jaw was out. You know what I mean? And this sort of like elite team during the regular season during the time that the Jaw missed missed because of injury. And so now it's become almost like the end of the game. It was certainly heliocentric. <laughs> like the end yes, of game definitely. two was like very much revolving around Ja. But yeah, we haven't really had to see that. You have to guard us straight up because there's not this like obvious point where everything is going to evolve from from our offense. It's a great series. I mean, like awesome. I hope it goes seven. I might start Otto Porter. He's been really good for them. So you would start Otto Porter at the five, basically, or like yeah, he's his his rebounding has just been awesome. The thing isn't so much like personnel. As much as it's like they just cannot be this sloppy again. Yeah, but their defense is thinning out though. Like when you talk about this starting lineup, it's like man, like no Iguodala, no Peyton. Yeah, like you're gonna start having to go into like the Damian Lee well. Um, might have to start like you know seeing what Kamingo looks like in the playoffs. Well, I was gonna ask. I, I'm not like the world's greatest Warriors expert, but like I was really enjoying Moody down the str- mm-hmm. like the second half of the season. Like is Moody just out of the question for some reason? I think so. It seems like it. I think if any if they go to anybody, they would go to Kaminga right now. And I don't think that's a bad proposition at all. He looked good in, in game two, I thought. So the Philly-Miami series is sad for me. We're recording this at 10 on Friday morning. So it's in it at, and on Friday night's game. You know, Embiid has cleared concussion protocol. It's There's optimism around him playing in game three. I would say that the tone of most of the Sixers group chats that I am on was what could possibly go wrong. A lot of like real like um belief i have to formally apologize to you by the way oh sure hit me yeah yeah so last podcast you know i basically told you that you need to change your thought patterns in regards to the sixers uh you know they won this series and you know three you hours later we go to like mikhail bridges and how, how they never drafted him um and then immediately we just find out that Embiid is, is out i truly want to believe that this is not the the sort of eastern conference version of phoenix dallas where it's just like they're just better than the sixers you know, I, I think that there is a competitive series in there. There was a lot of like make or miss league and we just missed our shots. And if those fall, like we're we're all good coming out of the Sixers. And it's just like, I know, but you guys are not exactly the Splash Brothers. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it, it's like Danny Green and George Niang and, and Korkmaz and some of the people that they expect to fill it up from, from deep. It's not going to come from Harden because Harden's being triple covered. So the, especially without Embiid, this is not going to happen. Um, and also Miami getting seemingly 400 second chances uh, from Bam Adebayo being the kid who like is 16 playing in the 12 year old league is not going to be a recipe for Sixers success. I think that they could definitely win one in Philly. I would imagine if Embiid is playing on Friday, my prediction would be that this is the night to do it. But do you see a path to victory for Philadelphia even with an like a eighty percent Embiid, yeah, absolutely. Um, their expected shot quality is actually pretty high. I love to hear about this. Expected shot quality is is the blanket under which I sleep. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to be optimistic about it, there's definitely evidence. But like to me, the bottom line is just that once you now have 
Joel Embiid in the series, like it completely changes everything. Like even it, just just the fact that he's there because the Sixers have had just like no no answer in terms of like a front course replacement for him. The fact that he can just sheerly stand there and play minutes makes a huge difference for them. Like it just all these questions that we're asked, like it takes a lot of heat off of Doc Rivers having to be having to find a way to be creative about this stuff because that just wasn't really feeling good. Uh, I'm glad that we're not going to get these DeAndre Jordan minutes anymore. I think frankly Jan- DeAndre Jordan is probably happy that we're he's not going to be getting these minutes anymore. And then it just becomes a situation where it's like, well, the Heat won their first two games at home. They did what they're supposed to do. Sure. And like that yeah, that digs Philly into a bit of a hole, but like we're talking about you know, a guy who had like you know, I think a top like top three usage in the regular season that they just lost. Like plugging him back in, he's an impossible matchup. On the Heat side, Bam and, and Deadman are probably two of the better guys that you want to have in the league defending Embiid, especially if he's hurt. And then like that Miami defense, like if they need to double, which I mean they probably will, they'll they'll probably find a way to do it the right way. It's still an uphill battle for them, no question. But they now have the best player in the series if he plays. And that changes everything. And they have two home games. That's the other thing. The it's two home games. You mentioned the, the, like, there was, like, I think a feeling when it was announced that Embiid would miss the first two games of the series that this was the point where, like, Harden had to, like, earn his sort of keep and be like, okay, now, Harden, you do you turn this team into the Rockets and score 35 and have 14 assists and everything is orchestrated through you. And the Heat basically triple covered him. At times. And so I think that if Embiid does come back and does draw that kind of double team attention, now is the time that I would actually be like, Harden, now score 35 points. Like, if you had a 35-point game in you, tonight is the night to do it. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Like, what we were talking about earlier about players that fit together but are also different. Yeah. That is something that, hypothetically, the Sixers should be able to do well with Harden and Embiid. Like, both slower-paced, thrive in isolation, but they figure figure out their pick and roll style like they will also be able to coexist well and that right. is like that is a dream right like that is a dream that is of, the dream of, of of like the Harden and Embiid pairing game three in the playoffs is a hard time to like you know hope that it all it all comes together uh but it's such a big w having him back it changes it changes the tenor of the series completely right like I think before these first two games we were talking about this being a seven game series that like no one really knew what would happen right I'm not completely back in that place yet, but I'm definitely more enticed. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. 
Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Let's wrap up by talking about this Boston-Milwaukee series, which continues Saturday, uh, 12.30 Pacific. I like to uh, prioritize the Pacific time when I'm announcing times. This is bare-knuckled. Uh, I'm not sure what the state of Marcus Smart is. That was like a really weird like Ewing theory situation in game two where like they lose the defensive player of the year and play better defense. I have no comment on that. On the defensive player of the year part or about them playing better defense? <laughs> Are you just concerned about your employment status? <laughs> <laughs> It's just not the conversation I want to get into today. Okay, you're protected. Don't worry about it. Like we, we've got your back. It's it's. This is a like we are allowed to criticize the Celtics if we want to. Are, are we? we allowed to, like yes, 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 yes. Everyone listening, we are allowed to criticize. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the defensive player of the year debate. That's like four conversations ago. You know? I understand that yeah. one probably less than I understand MVP. So let's talk about this series though, which. I think whenever you get definitive victories in each game going in the different direction, mm-hmm. you know, for one team wins decidedly, one team wins decidedly, it really has that feel of this will be long. This is going to get weird. There's going to be when they get close. I, I still want to see the Celtics and the Bucks play like an intensely close game, mm-hmm. right? Like what are, what are your initial thoughts on these first two games that we saw in Boston? I think it makes complete sense that, these games would be so lopsided uh, because I think the Bucks' whole thing is just like miss shot you like we make you miss shots and then we run right um, and it can kind of put them in this either a positive feedback loop which was what happened in game one where Boston is missing shots and the Bucks defense like I think from like the six minute mark of that game pretty much just turned it on and decided that hey oh yeah we do actually have to defend this team and then from there it was like we're gonna just pummel you right um and mm-hmm. then game two was the exact opposite of that where you have them hitting their shots you have Jalen Brown just hitting like contested threes and then from there like you know the Bucks are taking the ball out of the rim and they're playing I think it's more dramatic in this series because then they're going up against the Celtics half-court defense which nobody wants to do like that is a formula right. for disaster for anybody let alone like a, a Bucks team that doesn't have Chris Middleton it, it reminded me of the piece Rob Mahoney wrote for The Ringer last year on Chris Middleton basically, basically being like a cheat code for the Bucks, like the the mid-range king that, you know, the, the, the exact type of shot that they kind of allow you to take because it is so available in the playoffs, he kind of um, can emerge as somebody who breaks other defenses. And that mm-hmm. is something that they've definitely, like they're going to miss that in this series because the best way to beat the Celtics is actually just to hit tough shots. Um, unless you have Giannis then you can potentially try to barrel through them, right? It's a version of what is going on with the Grizzlies and Ja, except that Giannis is 6'11", so it might be a little bit more sustainable and I worry about it less. I feel like Giannis is entering like the shack zone of, like I guess you could call that a foul if you wanted to. But, like, like every time, yeah. Is it, it all stoppable? No. Yeah. You know, like, so basically... He's unstoppable unless unless legislated against. Yeah, unless you're Grant Williams. <laughs> <laughs> what does Grant Williams do that no one else does, though? Uh, man, like, I don't think it fits a thing that nobody else does, right? I think on, on some level, it is the fact that 
you know, Grant Williams up until this point has spent so much time, like in his first few years in the league, being in foul trouble that he wasn't going to get an assignment like Giannis. So Giannis is dealing with him for the first time too. And I think if you look at his progressive numbers, like let's say against Horford even, right? Like he finds a way to figure out a guy like Horford, right? And I think as the series progresses, he'll figure out more against Grant Williams. But in that game too, like Grant Williams is really strong. He's really smart and he moves his feet really well. And he was actually one of the players that I profiled in that Draymond Generation piece I did a while back. And he's been doing this since high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he has been, like, this six seven guy with, like, a six nine wingspan. So pretty much, like, it's not like he has a huge wingspan advantage. Who is just able to read angles really well, like, pays attention to the scouting report, watches film, and watches tendencies, and actually kind of, like, plays defense in a way that tries to dictate what you do as opposed to reacting, which is very Draymond-esque. But, you know, he did he did this against Bam Adebayo, mm-hmm. who was, like, Dwight Howard in high school. He did it against Harry Giles, who was also, like, you know, like, if not for the injuries and all the stuff that happened to him, like, we could be, he's a guy we could be talking about a lot right now. Like, he's he's a really good defender, and he's been guarding guys like sure. Giannis and being overmatched against them for a long time. And it seems like he, like, he really enjoys it, too. Like, he, like, he'll, like, kind of just nod and be like, hell yeah, like, after. And he just talks a lot, and he's, like, he's a good communicator on defense. And, like, he's not really afraid to get into, like, into Jalen and Jason and stuff, either. He definitely makes up for the energy and, I don't know if I would say charisma, but, like, the, the attitude... Yeah. Mm-hmm. gap that might have been there in smart's absence you know what i mean like there is like a pugnacious element to like how he plays that i think jalen and jason definitely have become i mean jalen was already a really formidable defender yeah now he's like better like, than jalen now he's so good at defense but i don't think of those dudes as like bulldogs mm-hmm. you know the way that i think of smart and now kind of williams in that way like I don't feel like they, there's not like they don't play defense almost like emotionally, <laughs> and sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's good not to actually get carried away. I mean, this is what happens with mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green and Marcus Smart is that like they play on an edge and sometimes fall off. But it's kind of it's I think it's been good for Boston to have some replacement for Smart being out. Yeah, for sure. He has a very similar. I think Grant Williams and Time Lord on the floor together have like a very similar relationship to like Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman or Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark too, where like there's just a lot of versatility when those guys play together and they can make up for each other's mistakes and both communicate really well. And it like it allows them to just be like this Swiss army knife down low where you can just throw multiple different looks at Giannis depending on what type of night he's having too. So I think that's something we could see down the line in the series as well where you kind of like you know as as if you're Adoka, you're kind of looking at like okay what kind of night is Giannis having is he like is he hitting the midi a lot okay like it might be a Horford Time Lord night or is he gonna try to barrel his way to the paint then it's gonna be a Grant Williams type of night um that's like the challenge with Boston right or like you know I think we might even see some Tatum as well right that's kind of the challenge that you face with Boston I just look at Boston's offense from game two and like the clear difference between game one and game two and like there's tactical stuff that they definitely did differently i think they were attacking the middle a lot more but it's just it's it's kind of shaping up to be a classic buck series where i'm not really necessarily sure that they will adjust to that stuff as much as they will just go into the next game being like yeah i don't know if if jalen brown's gonna hit contested threes on the road in like a, a pivotal game three or game four in the playoffs like i don't know if i have all that amount of faith so as long as you know the math works out we should be pretty good because so i know you hate i mean i know you love and hate shot quality no i like it 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. I love shot quality. Yeah. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> the Celtics have the worst shot quality of any team left in the playoffs. Really? And yeah. Yeah, according to shotquality.com. It's a very handily named website. It is, yeah. And, and you know, the second spectrum numbers are a little bit different, but they mostly kind of hold that up. And they've been they've been shooting above their heads um, more than any team except for the Suns. And they are also dead last in the playoffs in points that they get in the paint. 22%. That's really bad. And if I'm the Bucks, I'm looking at like the game plan that I have where that's that, that's exactly what the Bucks try to do, right? I don't know, I'm kind of just writing this out. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it feels like weirdly it's easier to analyze the Warriors Memphis series when it's like this frenetic and close. And cuz you can say like if this happens then this and if this happens then that. Whereas like with the Bucks Celtics series the fighters have gone back to their corners, and I have no idea how they're going to come back out in the next the next round. Yeah, I don't really know what the what Boston's going to look like in Milwaukee. Like that's you know I think that they've had the benefit a little bit of having the home court throughout this mm-hmm. the series the playoffs so far. Obviously, that would end if Miami and Boston advance. But it's been fascinating to kind of like watch Boston have to like take a, a punch in the first in that first game and come back so it's mm-hmm. it's i was really impressed with them in the second game but yeah it'll be like am- amazing to see them on the road maybe some slightly more like um hostile a hostile reception mm-hmm. and and and, and that, i think that that counts for something like these game one versus two swings right like you almost have to recalibrate because watching that watching that game two it was like okay the, the celtics are back and then a couple of days pass and you're like wait the Bucks got home, like, they stole one. Yeah. They did their job. <laughs> like, exactly. You know? All those teams are like, we split, so we're good. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. think it's more like Dallas and Philly who should be, like, a little bit nervous. A lot of basketball this weekend. We'll be back next week. Thanks to Chris Sutton for producing us. Uh, everybody, we have got, like, The Void is tonight. Waz is on the weekend. Ryan and Bill will go Sunday night. So there's tons of Ringer uh, NBA podcasts to listen to. Siri, you did a, a Spotify Live earlier this week, right? I did with Logan. We were previewing... Right. Uh, the, the boring series <laughs> we're trying to hop on and do those like kind of pre-games if uh if you're if you're kind of paying attention you'll see on twitter or we'll, you'll get a notification that we're, we're doing these pre-games mm-hmm. so pop by ask us questions troll us talk about uh shot value thanks again to chris for producing we'll talk to you guys next week This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.